Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I am so Dara. I'm extra Dara. I am so happy to be here today. So, hey, did you do something with your turkey leftovers? Did you cram them into a pot? Are you making good turkey stock? That is something that will hold you for months, I love. I have a giant, ridiculously big enameled pot, and I don't use it that many times a year, but I do use it for turkey stock. House smells good. That is a joy. All right, so I have fun people here today. I have Kate Sidoti. She just opened her first restaurant. We got an inspiring story of a lady who wants us to eat well. Later on, I got Tyg Nelson from Pajarito. They're hit their second anniversary, that kind of forward-looking Mexican place in St. Paul, and they're bringing in some really famous chef from Milwaukee, this guy, Justin Carlisle. We've got Mr. Andrew Zimmern come back on the show, and he's going to talk to us about Taste of the NFL. So we just got all, all the good stuff. So settle in, um, get all your turkey leftovers kind of sorted. Maybe you're going to freeze some. Maybe you're going to portion them out into – the lunch meat parts and the soup parts. I like it. We'll visit through this hour. All right. So first off, I've got Kate Sedoti here. She grew up in Hopkins, possibly, <laughs> not Minneapolis, and then kind of, you know, just opened this restaurant two months ago, right by the shores of Lake Bidet Makaska, former Lake Calhoun. And uh, I, she brought in all these great things. I'm feeling a little under the weather, so I'm not getting to try them, but they look so good. Kate, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, so tell me about you. You grew up in Hopkins. Hopkins, yeah. I grew up, family in Hopkins, and then kind of did some traveling after. I think of the Crossroads Deli. That's like my first. uh, (laughs) Classic Crossroads. Yeah, I love big latkes and some matzo ball soup. It's so fun to be there. Yeah. So you grew up in that part of the world. And then when did you, tell me about you. When did you fall in love with food? When did you decide to do this? Oh, I think it was our my family totally entrenched. We were the kind of family that over breakfast we're talking about what we're making for dinner. And it was always revolved around dinner time, family cooking. My brother loved making Thai. So we each had our own kind of what can we bring to the table. And Oh, that's so good. Yeah. And then you went to New York, New York City. <laughs> Big city, yeah. Um, went to culinary school in New York. And I knew that I had two passions. It was health and wellness and cooking. So the school was based on how do you create really good foods that are healthy, nutritious, but not. Yeah, when I think we hear about people going to New York, it's always for the French (laughs) Culinary Institute. But you went for Natural Gourmet Institute. Okay. And so that has some like. What, how would you describe the National Gourmet Institute? I've heard of uh, some chefs that have come out of there. Yeah, um, really plant-forward and progressive. We know how to make a vegan creme brulee, but not necessarily the traditional style. So it was taking really natural ingredients and how do you thicken with agar agar or seaweed or, or how do you mimic the look and feel of something that should be highly sugared 
but take natural sugars and reduce it down or use dates to sweeten the cake. So so are you a vegetarian or you just know how to cook vegetarian? I know how to cook vegetarian. I'm about, I'm about if, if, if you crave meat, have a little bit, good quality, well humanely raised, and it doesn't have to be so constricting or have so many rules. I think you had um, Chef Alex of Brasa oh, sure. on and his, his whole philosophy of the 80-20, you know, like 80% of your time have really good quality made from scratch foods and and room and flexibility for fun and life and enjoyment. Absolutely. That is what I am all about. <laughs> all right. So I got a question for you. You opened your Brim restaurant. It's right kind of on the edge of Uptown by um, kind of a like kitty corner almost from like Pade Makaska. Mm-hmm. What a... Tell me about the place, your dream. Like that, that's been a difficult place. A few things have come and gone out of there, but you wanted to be close to the lake? Yeah. So, my husband and I, about 10 months ago, had this idea of I had been a caterer and private chef and like moved back to Minnesota after we met. And what, what can we do? What's the next step? And it actually happens to be a space opened up a, a block away from our, our little apartment. And oh, you so you live in the yeah, neighborhood? Yeah, live that's in the neighborhood. Nice. You can. See the the front door from our from our front door. So it's um, that space we met near Bidet Makaska. You did? Yeah, we were both on a run, and we were at the same stoplight. And he smiled at me, and I was like, "How is he so pretty smiling, <laughs> running?" So we ran around Lake of the Isles, and and we live uh, a block away from where we kind of finished our run and exchanged numbers. So that space. That is such a good, healthy meeting yeah. story. Like, uh, <laughs> so the, the restaurant is definitely the heart and soul of our of our life, yeah, together. Oh, interesting. And mm-hmm. so there's so many of the kind of grain bowl restaurants. That's not exactly what you're doing. You're doing something else. Like we're really familiar in the Skyways at this point. You know, it's a quinoa bowl and you mm-hmm. add uh, poached egg or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you're doing something else. Yeah, I. that's really sweet that you – you know, acknowledge that we're, re- we're so proud of how we source everything. Like we get our wild rice from Red Lake Nation. So I call the reservation about once every other week and they courier down their amazing wild rice. Like it smells like the Minnesota shores um, for our, for our, that's quinoa. fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's super special. And it's just like, you, you don't have to do much to it. You just like, we like treasure every, every single ounce of it. So yeah, Minnesota um, wild rice is one of the kind of overlooked national treasures. I mean, I would – my personal pantheon, it is mm. one of my absolute favorite foods. It is the hand-harvested, real lake, wild rice from our clean lakes and rivers. So great. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it's something really magical. It's just like so precious. But, um, yeah, we try to get all of our, our ingredients with that much integrity. And our quinoa we call a farm in Colorado and – Virginia answers the phone like, oh, it's really it's, – there's got a lot of drought here. I don't know. You better order 50 pounds this week because I don't know how it's going to be next week. So it's – it's yeah, we're, we're, we're fast casual, but everything is made and sourced really thoughtfully. So I think you can taste that in the food and the freshness. Um, and then our, our produce is from Shared Grounds Co-op. So they source it from Hispanic-run – and own farms. And if they can't get something from that circle, it's Hmong run farms and then sort of the third tier is larger cooperative organic farms. So between 
the produce, the grains, and the and the meats. It's all very. So you're doing that to be ethical, but I've got to imagine that also you're getting a higher quality, uh, you know, product to work with. I, yeah, I mean, it, it, the less you can have it in transport, the, the fresher, the more flavorful, and the more nutritious because it's it's from ground to the bowl at brim. It's really tight time frame. So very cool. And so tell me about the places you brought in some beautiful foods, avocados, and your great, um, you know, this kind of pork bowl, things like this. But mm. tell me about kind of creating a third space because it's not just you have some great food, but you also kind of trying to make it an all-day thing, right? Yeah, we start lunch at dinner. Uh, I think towards the spring when you get around the lakes more often, we'll open to breakfast. But lunch and dinner felt like first restaurant, first space, let's just get everything right and um, go from there. We have a beer and wine, so kind of a cozy, quick dinner is kind of our spot, yeah. Fun. So does all your family come in from Hopkins? Or they come oh, and, definitely. Yeah. yeah. My brother came from Duluth when we we didn't have a dishwasher the first couple of days. <laughs> we like rolled up his sleeves. Uh, it's been definitely a full family affair to to get it up and running this past two months. Oh, so sweet. All right. So I've been talking to Katie Sedoti from Brim, a new place in kind of in uptown. What do we say? That's on the edge of right by the lake right there. The it's uh, I'm just so always happy to see a new restaurant, a new dream coming together. Yeah. Young entrepreneur, very inspiring. All right, everybody, go check it out. It's Brim. It's on the edge of Uptown. It's some good sourcing, some healthy foods. Um, Katie, thanks for coming in. Thanks so much. This is a pleasure. Thank you. All right, we come back. I think I'm going to get to the text line, talk to you all about your leftovers. So you got something to share with me? 81807. Dara here. All right. We're in the aftermath of Thanksgiving. Are you just have all of your china still out? Are you making, you know, your turkey stock? What else you got? So we're going to have a minute for a few questions here, and then we're going to come back with Mr. Ty Nelson from Pajarito. But uh, I got a question. Someone's going out of town, has a lot of mashed potatoes. What to do? You know, you can freeze them. Actually, mashed potatoes, if they have a fair amount of fat in them, they will freeze pretty well. And then when you come back, you can make box tea, which is like mashed potato cakes with different things in it. You can just have them straight up. You can do all kinds, all kinds of things. All right, so I got a question. Leftover turkey pasta. Someone wants to use it as a filling a pasta filled. That's an ambitious cooking project. I respect that. Absolutely, you can use leftover turkey inside a, a tortelloni or something. That would be that would be some some deluxe leftovers. I'll tell you what. Oh, I got a question about too many salad greens. Overbought salad greens. Does not know how to get through them all. Um, you know, un. Here's something people don't think about. You can saute them. You can just put some garlic in a hot pan, get that all going, throw your throw your salad greens, all your ba- your big bag of baby greens in there, squeeze some lemon over it, you know, toss it all around, and that is a that is a very good side dish and you'll be amazed. You take a giant bag of greens, next thing you know, you just have a small uh, portion of hot greens to eat. It's a <laughs> it's a delightful delightful Delightful. All right, I got a question. Am I pro pie for breakfast? 
What do you not even know me? I am the most pro pie for breakfast person you're going to meet. I am all about pie for breakfast. I am also uh, just you know pie for lunch. Why are we? Why are we depriving ourselves? You get one turn around, uh, one chance on this wonderful world, and you should make the most of it. And that includes pie for breakfast. All right. We're kind of going to come back here on WCCO. We're going to have Tyg Nelson from Pajarito, and we're going to talk about all the good things that are coming up there, celebrity chefs, fanciness. It's, it's, it's going to be a good time. What do my wondering eyes behold? It's Tyg Nelson from Pajarito. Tyg and I have been through some wars together. We were on the stage at the Lumberjack Festival year after year in the blinding sun judging judge judge judgingly along making a lot of judgments so that was oh it's it's so hot out there sometimes so now we are we are we're not exactly blood brothers but it feels a bit so when i heard that they were doing this big thing at his mexican restaurant pajaritos place in saint paul so it's such good tacos such good everything when i heard that they're bringing in justin carlisle who's one of the great Great chefs of the region. He's in Milwaukee. When I heard Justin Carlisle was going to be in their restaurant, I wanted to have Tyg here because that's pretty cool. Justin Carlisle is a big deal. I mean, you're a big deal, but he's also oh, a big deal. Nowhere as big a deal as he is, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me about this. You two years into having your own restaurant. Yeah, yeah, it's been two years. It's uh, kind of, it's like having kids. It's the longest two years and the shortest two years all in the same time, so. Because you were knocking around all kinds of restaurants. You, mm-hmm. you, know, you put in some time, Chino Latino. Yep. And, oh, yep. I remember when you were at something, the forgettably named The Inn. The Inn for a hot minute. That was a great restaurant that had no chance ever. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah it, was, uh, it was a tough spot. but. Uh, and know. then, um, and so this has been like your baby, your first time for your own baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, my partner Steve and I, um, you know, we're uh, we're still kind of in the thick of it, day to day, kind of in the trenches. So, so, so people yeah. are wondering, what's it like to go make that leap from chef to owner? Terrifying, terrifying. absolutely terrifying. Still, uh, not so much anymore. Um, you know, we we have our groove, and you know, uh, have moved on from that. But uh, you know, that that initial kind of jump into the deep end was uh, yeah, it was scary for sure. And worth it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of that uh, you know that. It's better to work 80 hours for yourself than 40 hours for somebody else kind of a thing. So, so oh, yeah. And so now you're capping it all off. Big celebration. How did you and Justin Carlisle, who's just really, you know, James Beard Award winner, very famous. How did you guys kind of connect? Uh, you know, honestly, my uh, my partner, Steve, uh, actually had um, uh, followed him on Twitter for a while and just kind of on a random thing. Uh, we had been talking about doing something for a second anniversary, and he just kind of hit him up on Twitter, and rest is history. So, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Finally. It was just kind of chance. Uh, a sign that the that the social media is making the world yeah. better, not yeah, the world exactly. worse. Uh, and so, what are you gonna do? Uh, so, we're gonna be doing uh, kind of a combination of a couple different restaurants that Justin's got. He's got um, a ramen restaurant called uh, Red Light Ramen, and also a place called Laughing Taco. So, we're gonna be kind of doing a combination of ramen and tacos uh for uh for this pop-up so it's very now but also how does that even work uh you know i'm not really sure um you know we're uh we're kind of uh uh kind of winging it but uh i think it's going to be a good time it kind of gives us a chance to you know do something that we're not doing every day and uh um 
Yeah, just kind of. Uh, so are they side by side, or are you just going to throw the tacos in the ramen? How's it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, we're not uh, going to be doing any kind of fusion or anything like that. So it'll be kind of a side by side. So we'll have kind of a ramen section, taco section, and then kind of some uh, some side dishes that'll kind of cover both uh, both sides of that. All right, I'm going to put a link to on my page for your Pajarito Turns Two events, but uh, we have some extra time. So tell me, you're a you're a real Minnesotan. How did what did you do for Thanksgiving? Uh, you know, I'm kind of a traditionalist when it comes to Thanksgiving. Um, you know, I am a uh, big uh, turkey and stuffing, and uh, you know, green bean casserole kind of a fan. So it was basically just with family. Uh, that was uh, that was about it. So. How do you do the green? Where, where are you in the green bean casserole spectrum? Do you start fresh? Do you start with canned? Uh, fresh green beans, but then you know, kind of all the canned other stuff that goes along with it. So okay, so, this yeah. is a controversy that's been b- b- bubbling around. Yep. Some people say that Cam. Some people say it has been said. Some people are saying that Campbell's cream of mushroom soup is the American bechamel. Where do you fall on that? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I think it's kind of one of those things. Is, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's definitely a utility kind of a thing. Um, it is a utility kind absolutely, of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I think that uh, you know, you can you can use it here and there and not really have it be uh, a standout ingredient kind of have it blend in someplace. So, so I'm I'm for using it, you know. Yeah, I there are a bunch of those products that I think are great. The uh, turkey canned onions. Like, uh, I <laughs> have you ever s- seen one of these Thomas Keller recipes where he basically has you, you know, frying shallots with chopsticks for yep. you know a hundred hours? Like, yep. that's too hard. Like, that's <laughs> too much work. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I mean, I think you know, um, in a pinch at home, I think they uh, they definitely have their place for sure. So yeah, yeah. I think so. So um, what else is going on? So you had two years. Uh, St. Paul is changing. Dare I ask you about the $15 minimum wage? Because I am just hearing some gloom and doom from people. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, you know, I'm not really sure. Um, it'll be interesting to uh, to see how it, uh, how it works out um, kind of moving forward. Um, I was talking to a chef the other day who said that there's not going to be a couple of these positions in kitchens that people don't, you know, just like average consumer maybe doesn't, Think about so somebody like a food runner. So a food runner is there to take some pressure off the staff and make sure that anything comes up in the window, you know, gets to the table hot. He said that we're going to see the end of uh, food runners. And then there's another position called expo, an expediter. An expediter is someone who stands in the kitchen and helps helps the kitchen kind of Mm -hmm. organize workflow in the most optimal way. He said that we're going to see the end of food runners and expos. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that uh, I mean that's potentially a possibility. I think that you know to go along with that, it would be also uh, you know where you'd have people kind of multifunction, um, you know, as far as food runners and stuff like that. You know, we, uh, you know, at Pajarito, we actually uh, will will kind of utilize a server, um, so they'll have a kind of a separate shift as doing doing that in the restaurant. So that kind of helps to alleviate having to to hire somebody on. Uh, they'll to do, do that. what the the food running. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So they'll have, you know, they'll have maybe one shift a week where, you know, they'll have a, well, they'll work a food running shift. Uh, you know, generally we only run a food runner on a busy night, um, you know, Fridays and Saturdays uh, or if there's an event or something like that. But, uh, you know, mostly most of those shifts are covered by uh, by servers, um, you know, to, to kind of help uh, uh, share the weight, I guess, a little bit. And so um, the other thing I'm seeing is I'm seeing a lot of service charges coming down the pike. People are 
very, you know, putting a 2% for health care, a 3% mm-hmm. for health care. Uh, you you don't do that at Pajarito yet. We don't. We don't. Um, not uh, not yet. I mean, I don't know if it's something that, that we would, uh, you know, potentially do in the future. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, you definitely are seeing a lot of that around. When I talk to restaurant people, they're saying, you know, they're getting kind of this legislated from the top, but they're uh, – you know, no one's really asking them how their businesses work and how this is going to work and whether, you know, the food costs are going to make sense for all of this at the end of the day. What do you think of, you know, as you're running a restaurant for two years, you started in Mm -hmm. one climate, it's sort of morphing over to something else. How is that? Uh, You know, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I I think that uh, it's going to kind of, um, I mean, it's going to be something that we're going to kind of have to wait and see, Uh, you know, just kind of see how, uh, how it works, um, you know, we haven't really discussed it yet. I mean, it's still pretty new in St. Paul, so. Um, well, it's not even here yet. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of, um, you know, it came to Minneapolis first, and then all of a sudden we had this big restaurant boom in St. Paul. Yeah, And yeah. now it's coming to St. Paul. So it's a very, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's something that's going mm-hmm. on, and I understand, you know, you kind of can't deal with it until you have to deal with it. Yeah. But it's complicated. It is. It's very complicated. Um, you know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how it affects restaurants, you know, if people are, are going to be uh, sticking with full service or if they're going to go kind of fast casual, kind of a quick service um, you know, you kind of places. Have you ever talked about that? Uh, as far as doing something like that? Uh, not yet, no. Um, you know, I mean, that might be a discussion that we have in the future, but I mean, as of right now, we're just going to kind of keep going the way we're going. So, um, yeah, I do not like these experiments with fast casual. There's this place in South Minneapolis. It's called the, oh God, what is it called? The tap house over on 46th and, um, grand. And they have basically done away with servers. You kind of come in, you put your credit card into a system Mm -hmm. And then you just use iPads, and then yep. if somebody runs a food, it feels like you're in an abandoned library or something. Like it doesn't feel <laughs> like a restaurant. That. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. So, and then if you, you know, I had a friend who went there with me, and she managed to mess up. You know, the first time you use this wine system, that mm-hmm. kind of you, know, you put your credit card in, and it spurts out wine. Like she couldn't make it stop. It turned into <laughs> this kind of like, you know Willy Wonka thing, where yeah. and then she's getting charged for a you know eleven ounce pour or something, mm-hmm. which nobody would want. And it's uh, you know yeah. it's. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how it affects, you know, restaurants going forward. And I mean, if, if people are going to take those costs and just kind of work them into the, uh, you know, the daily operations, uh, or if it's going to be something where they're going to be going more of a fast casual kind of a thing. So, um, yeah, we're in a time of big transition that way. Definitely. Definitely. And a lot of people have been, you know, last year, the big problem was that it was hard to find employees. Are mm-hmm. you finding it? Yeah, you know, it's uh I mean I think that's still kind of an issue and I mean everybody is always looking for people. Um you know, that's that's kind of what the business is now is that, you know, instead of being able to find somebody who, you know, might have 5 or 6 years experience, you're taking somebody with 1 or 2 years experience, but then, you know, having to kind of, you know, show them the ropes with how kind of, you know, you operate and you do things at your restaurant. So Yeah, I'm so, hearing that too. I was talking to somebody the other day and he was saying you know, he can't get a young cook to stay on a station for a year the way he used to be able to. They kind of feel like, oh, I did this for three months. I'm done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's uh, there's a lot of that for sure. So, um, you know, I mean, luckily, I mean, I you know, I think a lot of places they kind of keep their uh, – try to keep their core core people, um, you know, whether two, three, four people. And then, you know, they kind of use them to kind of help, 
uh, with the training of, of new people coming in. But yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely kind of a constant rotation nowadays, for sure. Well, it's a great time to get in the restaurant business if you want <laughs> rapid advancement. Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So so now that you've been at Pajarito for a couple of years, uh, tell me about kind of refining the restaurant. It feels like the, am I right in saying the menu's gotten a little more focused and a little smaller over the years? It has gotten a little bit smaller. I mean, not not a significant amount. Um, you know, I mean, you're always trying to, uh, you know, kind of refine things and kind of make things better. And um, I like a shorter menu. I find, you know, once you get into a diner and you're just like flipping page after page. Yeah. One of my big pet peeves is the restaurants are like, we have the best pancakes, the best ribs, and the best tamales in town. It's like, no, you don't. It's yeah. not possible. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, uh, like I said, I mean, we try to refine and try to um, – you know, just get better every day. I mean, I think that's, you know, all restaurants try to do that, um, or at least, you know, good ones. Um, you know, instead of just kind of sitting back and, and uh, you know, kind of relying on, on past history and past experience and past success. And um, now that you've been cooking some of your recipes for a couple of years, I'm thinking about some of the salsas. Like, do you get like a, a deeper feeling for them? Oh, absolutely. For sure. You know, you can kind of... Um, yeah, you kind of know how, you know, things don't quite go right. You know how to, you know, kind of bring them back or make them, you know, what they should be. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think you definitely, uh, you you gain a uh, kind of a knowledge um, of uh, of how they work kind of day to day. So Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like the first time you cook anything, it's an experiment in some way. You know, you don't <laughs> quite know. And even the first couple of times, but, you know, the thousandth time, the yeah. two thousandth time, yep. you really know. Do it in your sleep kind of a thing, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it changes it. It makes mm-hmm. it, you can taste that it's more, you know, unified, professional, yep. more approached more deeply. Absolutely, absolutely. So, <sighs> All right, well, yeah. we only have another minute. Thank you for coming in today. So this has been Tyg Nelson from Parito, um, putting a link up to their big two-year anniversary pop-up with this famous chef, Justin Carlyle. Uh, Tyg, before I let you go, what is the best leftover of Thanksgiving? Uh, you know, I'm kind of a stuffing guy. Uh, it has to be stuffing. Yep. <laughs> I totally agree with you. Yeah. And uh, my mom used to take stuffing and then, like, throw it in a pan and uh, heat it up then and then crack an egg in with there. Yeah. That's a thing. That's I'm, a good thing. I, I kind of like to get a little trashy with it and do some, uh, you know, kind of inexpensive white bread. And probably the one time of the year that uh, Miracle Whip is acceptable. Oh, uh, stuffing so a sandwich? Little, little stuffing sandwich. Uh little miracle whip and a little bit of turkey. So and maybe next year to do a pop up just be like <laughs> leftovers like a chef does it. Yeah. I think you'd have a big line. Yeah, you'd have like two days worth of uh people not being or being sick of it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tyg Nelson for Powerito. Thanks for coming in and thanks for having me. All the things. All right, we come back, we're gonna have Mr. Andrew Zimmern. We're gonna find out about uh, his his great work raising money for hunger charities when we come back. Well guess who's on the line? It's Andrew Zimmern, Minnesota's best favoritist, most beloved food personality. He's been on the television. Now he's making egg rolls. Oh, I think you're making egg rolls. I'm trying to give you a space. Andrew Zimmer, are you making egg rolls? You, you know what I'm saying? We actually had the egg roll conversation yesterday. They're not on the menu, but we, we have two big PDRs, that uh, private dining rooms, that we can open for overflow, and we're starting to book parties for much later in the year. We're going to wait a couple months before we we because it's such a large restaurant with 200 seats, you know, outside of the PDRs. We don't want to bury the kitchen, but we're starting to come up with those menus for folks for set meals and stuff. So I would imagine we are going to have a killer 
homemade egg roll that uh, people can have when they book parties. And who knows? It might wind up on the menu. We, we do shrimp toast. Ooh, That's shrimp about toast. As, yeah, but it's in a roll form. It's, it's actually one of my favorite dishes on the menu. We, we stuff the, the, the shrimp farce inside a tube of bread before it's fried, and it is attic. It's one of our more popular items. Killer. Oh, so a little southern. So it's in, you're doing an interesting thing. So you're kind of. I have long said that like these kind of um, new cuisines, like Italian American food. Italian American food is its own thing, and it should be proud. And I'm proud of it, and yep. I love it, and people yep. love it. And so you like. I think that the whole effort to make a you know an authentic restaurant like this, some village somewhere, is just it's it's so phony. Uh, you yep. just can't do it. It's inevitably got it. dumb and kind of pretentious. And I love that you're not you're having nothing to do with that. Yeah, you know, and and there, I mean, look, there are some people in, in mostly in other cities, especially when it comes to Chinese cuisine, who can cook from their family's playbook and represent one specific town or piece of a region and really do something personal you don't have the right river you don't have the you know like there's well there is there there is that but you know i mean you know look at look at what pim is doing with kin cow in terms of thai food uh you know in san francisco you know so you know you can you can get there but for me my my big thing and and you and i are two peas in a pot on this issue chinese american food has been cooked since the 1860s here in america um, it's its own cuisine. Uh, Italian American food, same deal. You know, uh, meatballs in Italy never come on pasta. It's it's a premi. It's a first course. It's a little taste. Um, so many of the dishes that most Americans consider to be Chinese or Italian or Mexican are in fact Mexican American or Tex-Mex or Italian American or Chinese American, and those foods have been cooked for so long here, and. In many regions, in the case of Mexican food, in places like Texas, which actually was Mexico at one well, point it gets in time, so before complicated. It I mean, what would even authentic Mexican be? Is that before Columbus arrived? I mean, it's you, like you, you got it. You hit the nail on the head. Then there's the whole colonial experience. So what we're trying to do here at Lucky Cricket is, you know, we're taking the foods that I love to eat some of which are very micro-regional, some of which are very, very honest and authentic, as it were. Some come straight from some of my favorite restaurants in Hong Kong, Shanghai, um, Flushing, Queens. Um, others are interpretive. Others are Chinese-American classics. And we've put it together because it's the food I love to eat. And I think Minnesotans, if I'm cooking in my hometown for my home you know, people should be eating the food that I want to serve. Uh, I just think that that's the artistic expression, right? It's, 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 you know, cook what you know and cook what you love and then start thinking about the commerce side of the, the stuff once the artist's itch is scratched. Yeah, it's that writing thing. You're supposed to, you know, write for your ideal reader who is often yourself, right? I mean, so that's once you do that, then maybe the world beats a path to your door. And I thought I thought I was your muse. I thought you wrote to, <laughs> so that I liked it. 
Oh, sugar, I will send you some manuscripts if that's the direction. <laughs> you got some free time. You're on a plane. <laughs> I can get you to, to read some stuff. It's deep. Anytime. <laughs> Any, anytime. But, yeah, let I me. Mean, you know, Lucky Cricket is a very – especially, you know, the food is very personal expression. And even though I haven't, you know, been drinking for 27 years, um, my favorite drinking experience as a young person, especially with Chinese food, was – you know, the tiki experience of, you know, Trader Vic's and some of those, you know, old timey classics, the place where it's always permanently sunset. And so we created a big tiki lounge to go with the with the restaurant side of things. And, you know, so far, so good. People are loving it. Yeah, we used to go to some place. My mom was, you know, my mom had an event at night. Like my dad did not cook for children. That was not a thing for him. <laughs> and so he would take us to uh, the neighborhood Chinese restaurant that was, you know, just red, red everything. You know, red walls and red ceiling, red carpet, red and gold chairs and the big lazy Susan in the middle. And, uh, oh, it's a, it has – it's such a good feeling for me. I used to love that and just get all of the – Get all of that 1970s good Chinese food. It was a it was a beautiful moment in time. It was, it certainly was. All right, and so now I want to ask you about some other stuff. So you you've you know you've seen people all over the world. You've been involved with people's food. You're now in a universe where you have you know a lot of food. You got cases of broccoli coming in the door, but you also have always kept hunger and hunger charities and helping people like close to your heart. How tell me about you and Taste of the NFL? You've been involved for a long time. I've uh, been involved for seven or eight years on the board. I think for five or six, um, and uh, uh, about that time, about six years ago, we made a, a company decision at our three businesses that we were going to spend twenty five percent of our time and twenty five percent of our money on charitable endeavors. Um, I have long been of the opinion that for those who have been given much, much is expected. I have, I have said out loud many times, for those that have a large platform, you should be using it for good. Um, and so whether it's services for the underserved in New York, uh, Partnership for Drug Free America, Love and Spoonfuls, a food rescue org in uh, Boston, uh, Appetite for Change, where I'm uh, on the advisory board here uh, in the Twin Cities and, you know, Second Harvest Heartland. There, there are places that I've dedicated a lot of time and energy. Taste the NFL being a big one. Um, we, you know, have events all year long in the NFL cities. It culminates the on Super Bowl Eve with the big party with a purpose where six, 7,000 people gather hundreds of active players and Hall of Famers and chefs from every NFL city um, cooking a lot of great food, and we raise a lot of money, millions and millions of dollars every year for hunger relief in the NFL cities. We, we just hand over checks to uh, food shelves in those NFL cities. Um, it's, it's been an incredible experience. We do a lot of, uh, you know, Taste of the Vikings events, several um, all throughout the fall and, and into the playoffs and in the spring as well. We do dinners uh, out of season celebrating uh, our football team and raising money for charity. Um, it's, I don't know, it, it just is something that maybe because I learned a long time ago that 
when I'm in my own head and I'm worried too much about myself, uh, the only thing that helps me stay right-sized is to do service work. And so I try to make sure that, you know, 25% of my day is spent on it. Um, I break it down that way because otherwise 25% of my year won't be spent on it. Um, and it, it seems to work so far so good. And I, and I love the good works. Taste the NFL started here, uh, 20, uh, gosh, six 26, years ago. 27 years ago. Yeah. Uh, with Wayne Kostrowski. Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, humanitarian of the year, James Beard award winner, Wayne Kostrowski. And, um, it just was something that I felt was important for me to be a part of. And it, it's, there's not a day goes by. I regret it. I did not realize that you were doing 25% a day. Ask a busy person if you want to get something done. I guess well, people lot. say, how do you do it? And, you know, if you say, oh, this is what I'm going to do every year, I don't know how to do anything over the course of the year. I am a one-day-at-a-time person. So I know if I'm active for 10 hours a day, you know, I can take, you know, two and a half hours and make sure that I'm working on charitable efforts and – um, you know, most days that's, you know, the actual work of being a board member um, or being active in organization, emails, organizing, event planning, um, scheduling. A lot of days it's actually being active. I'm going to New York in, oh gosh, a week or so, and I'm spending three days and I'm doing, I'm cooking three charity dinners that we gave away at other people's uh, events. And I'm doing three Chinatown tours uh, where, you know, it's a typical go on a eating tour of three or four restaurants with Andrew Zimmern that we gave away at some of my events. Um, so some days it's a little more than that because some days there's nothing. I need a day off every once in a while. But the only way to do it is one day at a time for anyone. You know, I, mean, I heard someone talk once about writing. And they said the only way to be a writer is to do it for a couple hours every day. Just get up in the morning and do it. Um, and, I, you know, I, I've taken that to heart when it comes to uh, getting anything done. Yeah. And then sometimes you need a day off and then <laughs> it's complicated. Well, you know what? We're so lucky to have you in the Twin Cities. All right. Andrew Zimmer, and I'm going to let you go. Congrats on Lucky Cricket. Thank you for all the work you do for Taste of NFL and the Kick Hunger Challenge. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, my friend. I appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.